This episode of Books and Boba was sponsored by Book of the Month, a curated book subscription that offers five new and early release books to choose from each month and delivered right to your door. Their editorial team chooses the books, vetting them from hundreds a month, and members can choose up to three books each month. Book of the Month is a great way to branch out into new genres or styles that you might not be familiar with. Book of the Month supports up-and-coming authors, especially debut writers from diverse backgrounds. Um, Book of the Month is commitment-free, and you can skip any month you want as many times as you want. Your first month's book is just $9.99 with the code BOOKSANDBOBA in all caps, no spaces. Uh, some of their past picks have been Minjin Lee's Pachinko, The Leavers by Lisa Ko, and Rainbirds by Clarissa Gonalan, which were all Books and Boba picks. So if you're interested in subscribing, you can go over to bookofthemonth.com. And now our show. You're listening to... Whoa! Welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yu. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here for episode 101 of Books and Boba. Rira, we totally, totally missed forgot. episode 100. We totally forgot. <laughs> um, but I guess happy 100 episodes of Books and Boba. Um, did you imagine when we started this podcast, like what, three years ago that we'd ever get to this point? No, I thought I thought it would fizzle out. <laughs> I thought I thought both of us would get really tired of of reading every month and interviewing authors, but somehow uh, we continued on. Uh, whenever we talk to other podcasters and we tell them that we've been doing this for three years without taking any hi- hiatuses, they are very very shocked. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, we've been putting out like one or two episodes every every month, which I guess it's a pretty doable um, pace. But also we've been reading a book every month, which to me, like for someone who for like from age, like say from age 18 to like 34 had not read anything for fun. Like that's been the biggest benefit of having this podcast in my life is just being able to read again. Yeah. <laughs> we actually we read more than one book a month now. I feel like you and you and I have both like it's it's like we're both Pokemons and we've evolved to, <laughs> to like the final form of reading like four to five books a month with like a lot of like uh, a lot of publicists pitching to us so yeah. yeah we've been pretty busy as of late which is good it's um i mean not to like not to minimize middle grade and young adult authors but like kind of glad that we've been talking with middle grade and young adult authors because their books are a lot easier to read and get through relative to like a, a thicker adult book you know yeah yeah L- a lot of literary fiction novels tend to be pretty heavy so I'm glad that I'm reading uh, lighter books during uh, social distancing. Yeah. And speaking of middle grade books, on this episode, we have an interview with author Christina Suntornbach about her latest middle grade book, A Wish in the Dark, which is a magical realism story based on a Thai-inspired fantasy world, um, also based on the story of Les Miserables. Um, or Les Miserables? Les Miserables? How do you pronounce? How do you? Les Miserables. It's Les Mis to me. Like that's how yeah, I, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, to Americans, yeah, it's lame is. But yeah, last episode for our hundredth episode, we did a recap of our Asian books challenge. Uh, so we're just going to quickly recap our picks for uh, this past week. Yeah. Uh, so we like we left off at day eight, uh, read the book, watched the adaptation. So we're going to go on to day nine, uh, and the prompt was historical fiction with an Asian main character and you and i picked the same book i feel like there was only one book to pick in this category that is so not true (laughs) out of like out out of like the books that we read for book club no there's like the ghost bride by yang zay chu 
And then there's uh, Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, which is which takes place in like the 80s. That's true. But I think for me, this was the first book that came to mind. And that book was Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, the um, multi-generational epic of Koreans living in Japan. Yeah, um, I, I I shared my thoughts on like the Books and Boba Instagram uh, handle And I've mentioned it on the podcast before when we were discussing it. And Pachinko will always be like a very personal book to me uh, in terms of like uh, getting a glimpse of like how my family lived during that time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I picked it because it was the first one that came to mind with with the prompt. Yeah. And I mean, the first line of that book, uh, which was history has filled us, but no matter is takes on such like like i feel like even right now history is continuing to fail us you know like i think during during the this like time of coronavirus like we are seeing firsthand how history has is continuing to fail the people that like are the most vulnerable and it's still up to us to persevere and like don't brush it off because this is how it's gonna be until something if something ever changes you know I'm just waiting for the COVID-19 historical fiction novel <laughs> that's going to come out in the next like couple years. Uh, but yeah. moving on, day 10 of Asian Books Challenge, the prompt was YA novel by an Asian author. That is probably like the broadest, <laughs> the broadest prompt that's in our uh, challenge. Uh, Marvin, what did you pick? Lots of great choices here. Um, I went with the first YA novel I've ever read by an Asian author, which was Warcross by Marie Lu. Um, I think I read this like back when we started this podcast. It was one of the first um, books that we were actually reached out to by a, a publisher to to check out. And I've read both um, Warcross and its follow up um, Wildcard, and it's just a fun. It's like if Bloodsport met esports. It's just a fun twist on your classic competition sports competition story with like cyberpunk and sci-fi flavor plus a really great you know like class narrative as well yeah i I read warcross too and i really enjoyed it um for day 10 i picked uh suzanne parks the perfect escape and it's a rom-com that's about uh uh, a Korean-American scholarship student who really wants to strike it rich so he can support his immigrant family. And uh, the opportunity, the perfect opportunity arises when his co-worker uh, asks him to be her partner for this zombie-themed, escape-themed tournament. And I love escape rooms and I love <laughs> rom-coms. So I like. I have not read it yet. It's definitely near the top of my TBR pile. But it sounds great. So this was a recommendation for yourself. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the challenge doesn't require you to read the books that you recommend. It could be books that uh, you really want to read. That's true. Uh, Day 11 is a translated work by an Asian author. And for this one, we also both chose the same book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we picked uh, The Devotion of Suspect X by Keiko Higashino. Uh, this was a previous book club pick, and both Marvin and I really, really loved it. I just like reading other countries' takes on, like, the gentleman detective, right? Or in this case, the scientist detective. It's just, it's so good. I love Death Note, and <laughs> it just has it just has that battle of wits story that I just love. Um, I have not read... Um, other books by Higashino like I really want to read Malice so mm. uh, that's also on my TBR pile Day 12 uh, South Asian main character what did you pick for this one Rira? I picked Saints and Misfits by S.K. Ali um, it follows an Egyptian Indian American hijabi teen uh, who struggles to really figure out who she is um, in high school and also like with her faith and um, it, and also like in the aftermath of being sexually assaulted by like the golden boy of her local mosque. Mm. So it's definitely um, like trigger warning sexual <laughs> assault and 
Um, I think there's like a bit of Islamophobia. Um, I still think it's like a very important book. Um, it's, you know, it's a YA book. It teaches uh, young readers about, you know, the Me Too movement and, um, you know, victim blaming. So I think it's a very important book. What yeah. did you pick, Marvin? Uh, I picked I Hope You Get This Message by Farah Nasrishi, uh, which is like like Severance, another feel good, you know, non existential book to read during these this coronavirus times. Um, it's a book about three teens, multiple perspectives, dealing with basically um, the world finds out that it's been a social experiment by an alien race. And they find out that in seven days, the alien progenitors are going to decide whether or not to continue the experiment on Earth. And so, like, it's about a group of people realizing that the world might end in seven days and what they're going to do with it. Wow, how uplifting. (laughs) And one of the main characters is um, a Pakistani teen who is a, like, he's a computer genius, kind of one of those lazy, smart people, um, and trying to um, come to terms with whether or not he can forgive his sister for abandoning him. Uh, Day 13, uh, the prompt was romance with Asian main character um marvin i saw your tweet and it was it just like made me laugh so hard (laughs) i mean okay so i picked the kiss quotient by helen hong which was our book club pick i think two months ago and still remains the only real romance book that i've ever read and i think even in terms of romance books it probably wasn't the most romance you could get but it was already pretty romance for me um having never read one before and I've seen you girls read these books and now I'm like, is this, is this what they are? Is this what they're all like, but more like more horny? Yeah. More (laughs) horny. It's very, it's yeah. I mean, like I think the kiss quotient was pretty tame for a romance novel, which, Uh, which is wild to me. (laughs) (laughs) There's more out there. Um, I actually recommended two books for this category, uh, one on the Books and Boba Instagram page and also uh, on my personal Twitter. Um, uh, one of the one of the picks that uh, one of the books that I picked was uh, J.C. Lee's A Sweet Mess. Uh, this book hasn't come out yet. It's, it comes out in July and it's about this Korean-American uh, woman who runs a bakery And uh, her business is being, like, because of a really harsh review and a mix-up, her business is, uh, you know, kind of declining. And she finds out that the food critic that wrote the really harsh review turns out to be, like, her one-night stand. So uh, (laughs) it it creates a very, like, awkward situation. And uh, the food critic decides to... Uh, try and help her bring her business back into success. <laughs> and then the other book that I recommended was Alicia Rye's uh, Girl Gone Viral. And it's strangely very appropriate for this time of social distancing because it's about a panic disorder. And uh, she kind of gets thrust into the limelight after uh, a stranger kind of live tweets uh, an interaction that she had with a hot coffee guy and um because she doesn't want to be in the limelight because she wants to have like a very peaceful existence she and her bodyguard they decide to go to like a remote haven which turns out to be his family's home so both of them are pretty much stuck together in a house for an extended period of time and they're trying to like a sparks fly because obviously they're gonna they're, they're going to have some attraction going on because you're stuck in close I mean, quarters. It's a romance book, right? So now that I've learned what this actually is, they horny, right? Of course. <laughs> of course. And uh, day 14. Yeah. Favorite series by an Asian author. I so. knew which which series you were going to say. Like I was, t- <laughs> I was telling Dan as I was like writing mine, I was like, I'm pretty sure... Marvin's going to pick the poppy war. I'm like 100% sure that he will pick the poppy war. Well, here's the thing. Like, there's a couple of series that I really love. And I had already chosen 
two of them for previous picks. So obviously, this was going to be probably my last chance to use this one too. So um, it's really the only place to put it. Um, yeah, I picked the Poppy War series by um, RF Kuang, which is an ongoing series. Um, the third book of the trilogy is coming out later this year. And I'm so excited for it. Um, it has everything that I love about Asian-inspired fantasy, which is the Asian-inspired fantasy part of it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's just a really like it starts off as like you think it's going to be some sort of like a oh, military school um, kind of like Harry Potter type thing, but it goes straight into Order of the Phoenix, Order, Order of the Phoenix, Phoenix stage, <laughs> where it's like, oh, now they're going to war, but now they're killing each other too. So like, it it's goes like directly. Yeah, it, it goes from part one to part two like so fast. Um, a Fire Emblem, three houses, and um, obviously this recommendation comes with several trigger warnings. There are a lot of scenes of either graphic violence or even um, there's a section of the first book that is based on the Nanjing Massacre, which was a very, very gruesome like event in history. And um, RF Kuang kind of, I don't want to say she goes overboard, but she goes into detail about like the atrocities that happened to this city, which in real life happened when the Japanese Imperial Army invaded China and put Nanjing under siege. Um, I'm definitely not a series type of person. Uh, maybe like I think I was really into series when I was younger, but nowadays I prefer to read standalone books because I do not have the patience to wait for the next book to come out. So usually I wait until a series is completed before uh, starting the series. And uh, my pick for favorite series by an Asian author was To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han. Um, after I read the first book, I... Like the next day I went to the bookstore and, and bought the sequel. <laughs> so uh, I was, you know, like it's like it's such a great contemporary coming of age story. So um, that's why I picked it. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't talk about this, but compared to the film adaptations, do you like the book better or the film better? I am team book on on this one <laughs> not to say that the movies were you know uh lacking but i i think the book does a really good job going into uh the relationships that laura jean has with her family and mm. it just kind of goes into more of the nitty gritty details about being like a high school girl that you don't really see uh in the movie because they have a limited time to tell the story so the movie is like really fast paced, whereas like the book, there is like more stuff going on. And a more important question. Are you team Peter Kaminsky or team John Ambrose McLaren? OK, so here's the thing. Uh, in the book, I am definitely team Peter. But <laughs> in the movie, uh, I'm team John Ambrose McLaren. They, <laughs> like the actor did such a good job. So, mm. nah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes our recap of week two of Asian Books Challenge. Uh, we'll recap the third uh, week of Asian Books Challenge next week, along with um, our monthly book news recap. And now we're going to transition into our interview with uh, Christina Suntarnvat. Uh, we had such a great conversation. Um, just to give you some background on Christina, she is the author of the fantasy middle grade series, The Changelings. And the early chapter book series, Diary of an Ice Princess. Uh, we talked to her about her most recent book, A Wish in the Dark, in our interview. And she has a new book that is coming out uh, later this year. It's a nonfiction title called All 13, which is um, about the Thai cave rescue. So uh, enjoy our conversation with Christina Sintornbach. First off, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with us today. I know that uh, things are crazy with the pandemic world, so we really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely so excited to be here. I love your podcast, so I'm honored. <laughs> um, so I, I just want to start off asking, um, like, where are you from? I know that you're from Texas, but did you grow up there or, you know, did you move around as a kid? 
Yeah, I am Texas born and raised. Um, I grew up in a small town. I, I was actually born in like a suburb of Dallas. So I was born in a big city and then in third grade moved to the small town of Weatherford, Texas. And we moved there because my dad wanted to start a Thai restaurant. Um, actually, we ended up starting a Chinese restaurant because it was the first um, Asian restaurant of any kind in the entire county. And no one at that time in the 80s knew what Thai food was. Um, and so uh, that's where I grew up. I grew up in Weatherford and went there for high school and was one of the only Asian American kids at my school in the town. Um, and then I, I did college in San Antonio, lived in Hawaii for a while, and now I live in Austin, Texas, which is a, v- a very different city from the one I grew up in. <laughs> yeah, um, it's so nice to meet another Southern Asian because <laughs> I'm from Georgia. So uh, okay. yeah, it's it's always like nice to to meet uh, Asians in the South. Um, yeah, solidarity. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's such a great, it's a, uh, it's an identity that I embrace now. I think when I was growing up, there was it, it was difficult. There was just a lot of push and pull in different directions. So now I'm very proud of being like Texan, and I appreciate lots of things about Texas. There is so much about Texas that needs improving, um, but. I feel like I feel more comfortable in my Southern Asian roots. I don't know if it's the same for you, but it's nice, nicer now, I think. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a lot better now. (laughs) Uh, A lot better now. Um, So I know that you have a Bachelor of Science degree in mechanical engineering and a master's in science education, which are like, which is completely different from from the arts, from writing. So I just want to ask, like, how did you stumble into writing and later into publishing? Yeah, um, this is one of the things I talk about when I go visit kids in schools is that when I was growing up, it was the school system and, you know, people in general didn't do a great job of, of, telling kids that, you know, you can do lots of different types of things. It was very much like, like I remember taking an aptitude test in school and it was like, oh, you would be a great engineer. You like math and science. So that was always a path for me. And I I really thought, you know, if you are into STEM, if you're into the sciences, then you have to do that and you're not going to be an arts person. Um, which I, when I was growing up, when I, I was younger, I always loved reading. I mean, books were such a big, important part of my life. And I loved the arts and I loved making up stories, but I never met an author as a kid. I never considered it as a career. Like it just didn't seem like, how would you even do that? I had no idea how to even do that. Um, so after I got my engineering degree and I got my um, master's in science education, I was worked at a science museum for a long time. Um, I was there, uh, uh, I guess, almost a decade. That's felt like a long time. Now it doesn't sound like that long now that I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> like that decade goes by really fast. Um, and I, I was in a meeting. We were, I was planning a big event for National Chemistry Week. And it, um, a professor from the University of Texas came in to meet with me. He was a chemistry professor and he was carrying a stack of books. And the top book, I just kept all meeting long. I kept looking over at this book and I was like, his name was Brian Anderson. And the name on the book was Brian Anderson. And I was like, by the end of the meeting, I was like, dude, did you write that book? <laughs> and it was, it was uh, like a kid's um like illustrated, like kind of a fun, a fun little space adventure book. And he was like, yeah, I'm also a children's book author. And he just like told me all about how he got into it and told me about um, this group that he, he met with every month and invited me to go to the meeting. And I, I guess I was just harboring these dreams of becoming a children's author that I had no idea I had. Cause when I went to the meeting, I just was like, I am going to try and see if I can do this because this is like what I am so passionate about. I really want to try to write um, children's books. And so that's how I got into it. It was a meeting. (laughs) 
So thank you for National Chemistry Week for mm-hmm. putting that meeting in front of me. <laughs> so have you always been writing like fiction? Where did this dream of becoming a children's writer come from? You know, I no, I did not always write. Um, I actually I was going through some of my old things and I did find journals where I had been writing like little snippets of like poems and and little short stories. So I think I was and I didn't even realize it. Um, but I I. I didn't like start writing until, until just around that time. Um, I had always made up stories. So the jobs that I had the most when I was growing up, I had lots of different jobs, but the ones that I, like, I always had a side gig babysitting always like from, I was just like, that was my longest career was babysitter for like 20 years. <laughs> um, I really like working with kids. And so um my my shtick as a babysitter was I was really good at telling stories. And that's what I, I would do when I went to a kid's house for the first time. I'd, we'd sit down and I would make up stories with them and we would make up plays and we'd get out their stuffed animals and make up little stories together and I would read to them. And so I always loved storytelling for kids. Um, and then my first novel that I wrote was actually a story that I made up for my nieces. And I had, I had come up with a story for them for bedtime and it was about them. It was about two sisters and one of the sisters gets kidnapped by the fairies and the big sister has to go and rescue her. And I came up with that story and they, they didn't live near me. They lived far away. And so I would write them a little bit of the story every week. I would send them a new letter with a little snippet of the story in it. And it, you know, the next week I would send more and the next week I would send more. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was writing what were chapters. They would become chapters in the book. Um, in my first book that I published, which is called The Changelings. And so that's when I went to that meeting after meeting the chemistry professor. That is the story that I, I went with in my head being like, I really want to see if I can turn this into a book and get it published. Um. Yeah, that makes it sound like it was very much like, oh, I had this idea in my head and I went to a meeting and I and and then it all happened. <laughs> but it took years. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I I started going to classes, to writing workshops. I mean, I was I had a lot to learn. I did not study creative writing um, and I had to catch up on a lot um, and started reading a lot of kids books, too. And so it took from that time. Um, it was about like seven years before the book actually got published and made it to the shelf. So there was a lot of rejection in there and a lot of um, hard work and heartache <laughs> over that time. Well, that's amazing that you took this innate skill of storytelling and were, were able to turn it into something that like got published. I think that's super inspiring. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I I mean, I um, I think I was just very... I had just had my first child. So I had just had my first daughter and it just felt like a time where I wanted to go for something. It, I think, you know, having a kid for me was very, uh, it just opened my eyes like, oh, I never thought I could actually have a baby and raise a baby and, and it would survive. Like I'm not a very maternal person. So like having a kid, <laughs> having a kid made me think like, oh, th- there's other things that I'm sure I thought I couldn't do that. Well, maybe I can do them if I try them. So I, I don't know. It was a, it was a good time for me to give something wild a try. And I, I, I'm very grateful and happy with where my path ended up. <laughs> Are there any uh, children's books that uh, really helped shape your writing? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have like my favorites from when I was from when I was a kid. Um, so like when I was growing up, it, live, uh, living in Weatherford and hanging out with my parents at our Chinese restaurant, what I, I don't know what y'all's background is, but <laughs> everyone that I talked to whose parents had like an Asian restaurant or an Asian grocery store or something like that, we all commiserate of like how much time we had to spend with our parents while they were working, just like so bored. <laughs> and <laughs> just like, I have a friend, um, Min Lei, and he's a Vietnamese American author 
author and his parents had a, I think they had a little grocery store. So we talk a lot about like sitting on the sacks of rice (laughs) and (laughs) just being like bored out of our minds in the days before iPads. The kids today are so lucky that they have iPads. Um, But yeah, so spent a lot of time at the restaurant reading and the books that I read the most and loved the most were all fantasy. So I read like a lot of Roald Dahl and C.S. Lewis and quote unquote classic fantasy stories. Um, And I mean, those definitely shaped the type of writing that I love. Like I still love fantasy tales. Um, The books that I think about when I was a grown up and I started thinking about writing fantasy, I remember really vividly reading Anne Ursu's Breadcrumbs, which um, I think it must have been published around like 2013 or 12 or something like that. And um I, and it was such a beautiful fantasy. Um, it had such a, a classic feel to it. It was very modern and very different. Um, and that's one of the books that made me think, oh, I really wish I could do something like this. I wish I could write a story that felt like this. So uh, your most recent book, uh, Wish in the Dark, uh, it's a magical realism twist on Victor Hugo's French novel, Les Miserables. Um it's a very, very long and grim story. So I just want to ask, like, what inspired you to adapt it for middle grade readers? Yeah, yes. That's, Les Miserables is the longest book I have ever read. I like to tell kids it's even longer than the longest Harry Potter book. And they're like, whoa, what? Um, yeah, I uh, it's my favorite novel. Um growing up, uh, uh, like I, I read it in high school and then read it again several times as an adult. It's just a wonderful novel, wonderful story. And then after I became published and started thinking about like, okay, well, what am I going to write next? What story am I going to write? Um, Les Mis just seemed like there's so much there that would make it a great middle grade story, a great story for elementary kids. Um, it's There's so much action. There's a lot of tension, um, a lot of conflict. It, there's a chase and a hunt. Um, and then it also has these really great moral questions that it explores that I think are perfect for middle graders. Um, It's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, it delves into topics of social justice and equality and, you know, what does it mean to be fair and um, what's the difference between uh, the law and actual true justice, Um, which I think, I think that kids that are around the age of like 9, 10, 11, 12 are just really hungry to debate those ideas and dig into those ideas. But um, it, it really wasn't until I I thought about setting it in Thailand, um, in, in a magical Thailand, that it all kind of clicked and came together. I could not figure out how to do it because, as you say, it's quite grim. <laughs> it's very se- <laughs> it's a very serious novel, and you know the main character, um, what happens to them is it, it's pretty rough. It's pretty tough. So it's hard to imagine like putting a child character through that. Um, but when I thought about setting it in Thailand, and I thought about you know, the, the book is really very much influenced by my dad and his stories that he would tell about growing up in Bangkok. And he had a very uh, scrappy childhood. It's, it's nothing like the main character um, in A Wish in the Dark. Uh, he was he did not grow up in a prison or anything like that. But he did, you know, um, he did have to work at a really young age. He and his friends ran around on the streets of Bangkok by themselves and got into fights and got into trouble. And um, so so creating characters that reminded me of him and his friends kind of helped help me think, OK, yeah, I think I could tell this. I think these scrappy Thai characters could carry the story. Yeah, I love the world building that you've done with uh, Chatana, which is the uh, fantasy world that you created that's based on uh, Thai culture. Um, I really loved all of the rich details you added, like the fruits, the canals, uh, the monk blessings. Um, Was this your first time writing about Thai culture in your books? Yes, it was. And I loved it so much. (laughs) Yeah, I my my first books, my my first novels that I was talking about, um, 
the changelings, the the ones that I wrote for my nieces, were very much just completely opposite, set in like British Isles, very classic uh, Western European fantasy story. Um, I think I was, I don't, I, I don't, I was about to say, I think I was scared to write about Thailand, but actually... I probably didn't even consider it. I, you know, you get so indoctrinated um, as a kid when all you see, when all of the fantasy stories you see are set in a certain type of place that your mind doesn't even think that it's possible for a magical story to be set somewhere else. So I think I had to really, um, I think I had to think deeply and feel more confident as a writer before I tackled something that was set in Thailand. And I, and I just, I had so, so much fun writing it and it just felt so, um, so natural and just like such a, a labor of love to write the scenes. Um, the, the setting is like my very favorite parts of going to Thailand and being in Bangkok and just kind of amped it all up <laughs> another, another couple notches. So like the canals and the river life in Bangkok, I just um, kind of went over the top and said, this magical city will have all canals and there'll be hardly any streets at all. And, um, and fruit, yeah, is going to be a big part of everything because that's like my favorite thing about going to Thailand. Of course, family is number one, but fruit is like number two. <laughs> there are just some fruits that you don't get anywhere else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, are I, you a big fan of durians? Uh, I mean, I, I, I do love eating durian, um, like very, in very specific ways. <laughs> like it has to be super fresh. Um, I've never eaten it in the U.S. Like now I start to see it in uh, Asian markets here in Austin. And I'm just like, I don't know. I think that that sat on a boat or a plane too long. Like, I don't know <laughs> if I can do it. <laughs> like it has to be so fresh, you know, and then and then I'm like, and who is going to throw away the the trash afterwards? Is it going to be me? No, I don't think I'm going to be eating that. <laughs> like it's just, uh, you know. A lot of considerations have to go into eating durian, <laughs> but yeah, I love it. If, if it's if you get good ones, I think it's really tasty. God, I I was so grossed out when uh, Pong was in like the trash can for for his escape because there's like all these durian rinds, and I'm like, oh god, like, <laughs> like yeah, I can't. The smell, like, oh, um. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's been sitting in the sun in the trash for like a day. Um, yes. So, you know, and when you're writing all the your writing teachers and your writing workshop leaders always tell you, uh, you have to make it hard on your protagonist. Like you have to give them big challenges, like don't make it easy. So I was like, well, I'm going to make it like the worst challenge you'll ever have. Like this is, <laughs> this is going to be a trial to end all trials. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think being in smelly trash is bad enough, but for those of us who understand the smelliness of a, a ripe durian, it, it's yeah. extra layers for us. Yeah. Awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you, uh, you know, you had concerns about getting, uh, the Thai culture right in your story. Um, I, I feel like a lot of authors of color, they, you know, they tend to have like more rep sweats, you know, more uh, anxiety about getting every detail right. Whereas a lot of non-Asian authors who are writing about Asian culture, they they might not put in as much consideration. Um, were, you, were you actually like really nervous about... Uh, like about getting everything right? Did your, uh, did you consult your father since you based uh, a lot of the, um, a lot of the episodes um, on his childhood? Yeah, I did. And I, I absolutely worried about it so much. Like if you ask my husband, he'll be like, <laughs> how many nights did I wake up in the middle of the night? And he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I don't know if I did that right. Um, yeah, I, I talked to my dad a lot. Um, I, I asked, I asked him a, a lot about the details. Um, he was maybe less, uh, helpful, 
when it came to that. Because he would just be like, it's fine, honey. It's fine. Like, you know, don't worry about it. And I would just be like, no, dad, you don't get it. <laughs> um, so actually, I, I leaned on um, author friends who are Thai. Um, so I, ha- I had, let's see, I had, I think, four readers um, who read who read the book and um, and just, you know, the term sensitivity reader, I think is just is not quite accurate for what they did. It was just, you know, for the authenticity for the details. So they would do things like I, you know, there's a lot of scenes that take place in a Thai temple. And at first, um, I can't quite remember what I had written at first, but there was a scene that to me was very dramatic. And um, there was a lot of tension in the scene and people were shouting at each other. And one of my friends was like, I felt really uncomfortable with all this shouting. Like, I I don't think people would be shouting in the temple. Like, I think even though it it was like a very fraught situation, I think they'd be keeping their voices down. I was like, oh, you know what? That is totally right. Like, that's such a great catch. You would still be like in hushed voices in the temple. It's just so ingrained in you that you don't, you don't speak loudly, you know? Um, So there's things like that. But I mean, I still, I still <laughs> worry about things. And um, I think especially as an Asian American, um, you know, I, and the experience of going back to Thailand and especially being half, like being multiracial and and going to Thailand and getting your cheeks pinched by your aunties and, um, you know, teased by your cousins that you're not Thai enough and, um, you know, you're the American one. And um, so I think I, all of that was kind of weighing on my mind when I wrote the book. And, and I just, at some point had to, had to trust, trust the story and trust my own storytelling and the people who had read the book and, and just hope that I got it, got it somewhat right. <laughs> oh, you definitely got it right. I think the setting of your book was, you know, it was a treasure. Um, everything was so vivid. Um, I've never been to Thailand, but like, I, I, I it was so sensory. So uh, I think you did a great job. Um, I, I just want to like move on to like the magical aspects of your book, because it's not just um, a Thai land version of Les Mis, like there's magic in it. Um, so in your book, the citizens of Chatana are forbidden to use fire because of a great uh, fire that almost destroyed the entire city long ago. And instead, they use magical orbs to cook, light their homes and power their engines. And they come in different colors. And I just thought that this was uh, such a creative, uh, magical system. So I just wanted to ask you, like, how did you come up uh, with the magical system, especially with the especially with the color coding, because it's like a very easy identifier for a person's uh, status. Oh yeah, so thank you. Um, yeah, the I always knew that the lights were what would be magical, and that's that's based a lot on just um, how I feel when I go to Thailand and and my memories of going there as a child and you know, the, the city at night, it really has this magical otherworldly feeling. You kind of feel like you're in a dream, particularly if you're a jet lagged kid and you're up late past your bedtime, you really feel like you're in a magical dream. Um, and then, you know, the, one of the things I love about fantasy so much is that it really lets you, um, dig into, dig into, issues and like big ideas in a different way. So instead of hitting them head on, you know, you're, you're setting up some, some magic that really doesn't solve any problems that really creates new problems. So, um, you know, as, as you said, the, the magical lights, they have this, this property that there's no danger to them. So the city nearly burned down from a fire. Well, here's a man who arrives in the city who can create light with no fire. It seems like the perfect solution with no downside. And, and so the making the lights different colors and having, um, having them have different brightnesses and then having the, the governor, the man who can make, create the light, give them out to different people that he deems worthy. Well, that's just, you know, it's creating a whole other set of problems. Um, 
And then I think also like the engineer in me, the science person in me, uh, you know, was thinking very scientifically about it. Like, okay, this, these different uh, light colors would have different properties and um, there would be rules around, uh, you know, how, how much energy and how much power you could get from each one and how long they would last. And um, so it was, it was fun to come up with. Um, And it definitely, uh, I think kind of allowed me to talk about the issues of, yeah, equity and social justice uh, in a different way because it was magic. Yeah, I I found it really impressive that your book kind of explored these really really heavy topics like incarceration and wealth inequality, like like you said, and like the myth of meritocracy, and of course like revolution in like a really comprehensive way to young readers. And I feel like you weren't coddling them either. Like it wasn't like this very, like there was optimism, excuse me. uh, There was optimism um, in your story, but at the same time, like it still retained all of these important uh, themes. So I I just want to ask, like, what is your secret? Like, how did you manage to weave all these complex themes into your book while making it accessible to children? Oh, thank you so much. That that makes me feel so good because that was just a huge goal of mine with the book. Um, Yeah, I I really think that middle grade readers, they are so, so sharp and so able to tackle bigger, bigger ideas than they get credit for. Um, in fact, you know, I really feel like going out, meeting so many readers, meeting so many kids. And then now that I've gotten to talk to them about this book, you know, they, they, they get it. They know, um, right away what the answers are. And, you know, they, they understand that there's this unfairness and that, um, there is inequality in the world and they're, they're right there ready to fix it. Um, I feel like, they <laughs> they have more of the answers than the grown-ups do because it's the grown-ups that make all the excuses um and it's the kids who who can see past that and see that you know um that the lure of having safety or law and order is not a fair trade-off if we have to give up compassion and give up justice um and so so I don't know I, I mean you asked what the secret is and I I guess mm-hmm. it would just be that I don't know if I could have written this book if it was my first book, but having having it not be my first and having the experience of going out and meeting kids this age and just knowing how much they're capable of and knowing how how great their discussions are and what deep thinkers are, I think I just had a lot of trust that they could handle all of these topics so so well. Yeah. I feel like we definitely don't give kids enough credit to understand concepts like what's right, what's wrong, what's fair, and what's not fair, but I mean they're learning every day just through social interactions and what they watch and what they see. So it's really great that you have this book to put things in context. Yeah, for them, right? I mean, I, I think, and I, and I think that now, um, you know, kids are, are discussing these topics more than they were when I was a kid. Um, I, I actually was introduced to the original story lame is as a 10 year old, my mom was reading the book and she was, uh, summarizing it for me at night. And I remember hearing the story and that being kind of the first time I really was thinking about issues of social justice. And it was just like very eye-opening. I was like, oh, you know, this is the first story that I've read where it it kind of, it turns it all on its head and says that the the police, the law, the lawmakers are the ones who are in the wrong. And it's actually the convict who is the hero of the story. That was just eye-opening for me. I feel like you know, kids today, I think they're going to be more, even more receptive for that because we're having conversations now, hopefully having conversations now that we may not have been having 30, 40 years ago. I thought um, Knox's journey was so engaging to read because she's the antagonist in the book until, uh, until towards the end where her worldview uh, kind of undergoes like probably the biggest transformation out of all of the characters and she plays the role of Javert in your story, but has more of a redemptive, redemptive arc. Um, so, like, can you tell us more about, like, how you fleshed out her character? Because, you know, Nock is like a teenage girl 
not 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 like Javert in the story, who is uh, very. Uh, he's a cop. Yeah, he's. <laughs> I'm trying to think of nice words to to describe Javert, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, this was. I mean, she was the hardest character to write um, because, as you say, like she. She does transform, whereas in the original Javert, the the cop, the bad cop. He dies at the end. Yes, right. He commits suicide because he can't, he's so rigid in his thinking, he cannot, I mean, the thing that kills him is that he can't accept that um, someone that he has pegged as bad could actually have saved his life. And so, of course, for a middle grade story, that's not going to fly. We're not going to have that. Um, and, and so, you know, I think that what, what if Javert had a moment, had moments that Nook had, um, early on, would he have changed? So that's, that's sort of how I thought about her is that, if she had never had to confront her privilege, if she had never had her eyes opened by these interactions with, you know, the characters of like Bong and, and some kid, um, she, she could have very well ended up like that. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of, there's leaders today. There are political leaders today that, you know, I look at them and I'm, I'm like, yeah, you never, you never had the moment that you needed to have as a young person where you see the truth and you see the light. Um, you're just kind of living in this, in a very like Javert like world where everything's so rigid and black and white. Um, so, so yeah, Nook was, I, I think she's the character who's most like me. She, um, comes from that, from a privileged background, from like where she's been very coddled and given kind of like a simple explanation of events. And she's accepted that up until now when she just hits everything head on and cannot accept it anymore. She has to, has to really, uh, see the bigger truth. Yeah. Like one of my, um, one of my favorite scenes in your book is her conversation with her father in the garden. And, um, you know, she's, you know, she's telling her father, like the proverbs that she's learning in class, how like, um, you know, people should follow the law, it shouldn't be, you know, it's like, it's not that hard. Like, if you're breaking it, that, that means you're a criminal. And her father tells her, sometimes the light shines on the worthy, but sometimes it just shines on the lucky ones. And I thought that was such a poignant quote, because, um, because like kids, like they're they're kind of like wet cement <laughs> like anything that touches them it really shapes them and their perspective on the world um so like my question is what do you hope your young readers will take away from reading your book oh yeah that's such a wonderful question um i mean i think that scene and where um you know, where Noka is, is right, reciting these proverbs, she's younger then she's a little girl then. Um, I, I was thinking about all the proverbs that we hear, or, you know, and they're not proverbs, but they're just like sayings, things like, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Or when they're, you know, when certain people talk about immigrants and uh you know well if they just wouldn't have brought their kids here then their kids wouldn't be kept in cages at the border if they had just stayed home and how these little sayings are so insidious um and they just they worm their way into the public conversation because they kind of you know you could see the logic there but how how false they are and how dangerous they are. So if I if I think about what I want kids to take away from the book is is I think it's just questioning, being able to question and um, having the like I, I want to empower them to push back on any idea that that gets accepted as the status quo. Like, well, it, you know, is that true that if you just worked really hard that you would be in the same situation as the the people who get the good light in Chatana? Um, uh, you know, I think asking those questions and picking those apart, that's, that's what uh, 
literature can do for you. You know, it can give, it can empower you by living through a story where you've had to pick that as a part as a reader, then you can go out into life and, and push back on the things you need to push back on. Um, so I have a silly question for you. Um, so, <laughs> so Pong gets a, a bunch of monk bless bracelets and some of the blessings are just really like, just really funny. Um, and, and like, I, I just want to ask, like, if you could have a blessing, what would it be? A small <laughs> one, mind you, because the book teaches us that making, uh, like big prophecies is probably not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's one of my favorite like tropes in fantasy. Uh, that was so fun to write for this one is like, be careful what you wish for. I, I love any story that's like a good wish gone wrong. I love those. Um, <laughs> so what would I wish for? That's, that's so easy. I would wish that mosquitoes would never smell me. That would be like the best wish <laughs> if that could come true. <laughs> Definitely, if you if you visit Thailand, I'm, I'm guessing because <laughs> yes. it's humid. Yeah. Yes, or Texas or Georgia. <laughs> They're here now. I was out um, on a like a parking lot date lunch date with my girlfriend, and we had the windows open, and I got bitten three times. Yeah, it's awful. There, there's no, there is no, no need for mosquitoes. I can't come up with any evolutionary need for them. We can, we can get rid of those. <laughs> So that's such a fun question. I, I was just thinking, oh, I need to uh, use that when I go out and talk to kids or do virtual visits. Like if you could have a, a simple wish, what would it be? <laughs> I thought Pong's uh, like ability, like he kind of has a superpower in the book, but it's not really a superpower. He uh, like he's super attentive. He notices things that others easily miss, like sounds and magic uh, which I thought was a really unique ability for a kid because most of the time kids, their attention spans are, you know, kind of everywhere. And Pong seems to have this focus that's not really, uh, really common in children. So what made you decide to give him this gift? <laughs> yeah, I, I thanks for asking about that. Um, I totally think that being able to pay attention is a superpower. I I am so unlike Bong. I am so easily distracted. I mean, I mean, I think that's like my author side is that I'm always somewhere else. I'm always thinking about something else, like coming up with a story or just thinking about different situations in my head. So I'm never present. Um, and yeah, so giving him that ability was, I don't know, was maybe my, <laughs> my wish for myself to try to be more like that. But also, I think, you know, he's a monk in the making. Um, he's got a lot of qualities that make him a good Buddhist monk when he gets to the temple. And, um, and that is, you know, uh, of a skill, a virtue that you, that you try to work on, that you try to practice, uh, in Buddhism. Um, and then just also for a character in a book, it's very useful <laughs> as an author to have one of your characters be really good at paying attention because then they can notice things for the reader that the reader, you know, a, the, a different character would have missed. So it, it just opens up lots of fun things that they can, they can do with this superpower. Yeah, usually the quiet ones uh, are not the protagonists in in stories. It's always the more adventurous and uh, impulsive characters that tend to uh, take the mantle of hero. Um, I'm pretty sure if I read this book when I was younger, I would be I would be like, huh, like I can be a hero. Like I'm, I'm a quiet kid. <laughs> yeah. it was like maybe I can make a difference. Maybe I can make a difference in a revolution. Just maybe. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you totally could. Everybody could. That, that's a, uh, it's a superpower. I don't know if we could all, I don't know if we can learn when mangoes are ripening. Like he's so good at paying attention, <laughs> but uh, that would be a good skill to have for sure. I, I, I feel like my mom has that superpower, like to know like when a fruit is ripe. Like, I, like if I go to an Asian grocery store and there's like all these fruits, I cannot tell what <laughs> fruit is ripe. <laughs> I, and your mom can. Yeah. I am woefully like the worst when it comes to domestic tasks. And my mom, like she just, you know, she just knows like which fruit is going to be good in the next like two, three days. Like it's, I, I don't know. It's like a Korean mom superpower because we, we eat fruits like so often. <laughs> That's so cool. I love learning that about your mom. That's awesome. 
<laughs> uh, so you have a new uh, book that's coming out this October. Uh, congratulations, two books in one year. That's that's quite an accomplishment. Uh, can you tell us more about the new book? Thank you so much. Yes, I, this is like uh, just a wild year. I actually have seven books coming out this year. It's so oh, wow. strange. Yes. And it's just like, it's just the weird way that publishing works that, you know, you work on all these different things and then you have very little control of when they all hit. So I have two picture books and three chapter books and uh, this A Wish in the Dark. And then in October, a nonfiction book for kids about the Thai cave rescue. So um, it definitely, I mean, last year was insane. And I, <laughs> I am so glad it's not last year right now, because I would be not not be able to get it all done. Um, so I, I was actually in Thailand when um, the, the Thai soccer team, when the wild boar soccer team uh, got trapped in the cave in northern Thailand. I was traveling there visiting my family. And like, so I saw it. I think, yeah, my plane landed right when on the day that they went missing. And so like I, I was there just seeing it all unfold from like a little, um, you know, regional story, like a little country story about this missing soccer team to just like the biggest story on the planet. Right. Um, and so after it was over and after the kids got rescued, I, I remember calling my agent, um, and talking to her and being like, I, I really want to write a book about this. I know that people are going to write kids books and I want there to be a, a kid's book that is, uh, written by a Thai, someone of Thai descent. There's just a lot in the story that I think gets missed by Western media. And I want to tell that. And my agent was like, are you crazy? Because we had sold a wish in the dark. And, um, I think I was still in edits, uh, for that. And then we had sold a chapter book series and I had like four chapter books that I had to write in the next six months. Um, and, and, but I, I just really felt like I had to try to do it. And so um, we did get a book deal for it. And I flew back to Thailand uh, and interviewed a lot of the rescuers. And I got to meet the kids. I got to meet the boys and their coach. Um, and very just many sleepless nights working on the book to get it done in time. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's very exciting to, to have two books that are about Thailand and get like two reasons two very different reasons to talk about Thailand um, in one year that it's been very, very cool because there's just, there's not a lot of kids books that are about Thailand and written by Thai authors. Yeah. And that's super important. I mean, I think that's, I was just thinking about like just looking at the books that you've written and looking at even the covers, right. And how, like, if I was a kid looking through like my, you know, those book club you know, order sheets, I would have probably ordered these books just by the covers alone, just because <laughs> it just spoke to me, you know? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I think that too. Um, I'm, I'm just, just started reading a book with my kids. It's called Keep It Together, Keiko Carter. And it just came out. Um, and it's by a Japanese American author. And it has this cute Japanese American girl on the cover sitting by her locker with her backpack. And she just looks like the all American girl. And I remember when they did the cover reveal for that, just thinking, Oh my God, if I had that in middle school, that would have just, just given me so much. It would have been had such a big impact um, to see someone who's like you on the cover of a book. It just means so much. So uh, I totally agree. It's it's thrilling to have books like in the book fair. That is, it's, I mean, so meaningful. I can't explain yeah. it. <laughs> so seven books this year. Are you going on a lot of like virtual book tours then? Uh, I'm definitely doing lots of virtual <laughs> stuff. Um, I pretty much do everything virtual that get I get asked to do. I just do it. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, I, you know, when, when COVID-19 hit and everything got canceled, I was just like, I cannot believe this is happening in the year that I have seven books out. I had so much travel that was planned. <laughs> I was going to um, go to all of these different conventions. And, but then of course you realize, well, you know, everyone is in, in this boat and there's just so much going on. Our whole world has changed. So um I'm just lucky that there, there is so much, you know, there's podcasts like this where I get to 
get to talk to get to talk to you about my work and um and quickly people have been pivoting to doing virtual things um which is nice because kids are so savvy at it they're so good at it yeah and i'm bet i bet parents are happy to give their kids another distraction in the form of books to keep them occupied as as they try to work from home as well <laughs> yes as a parent myself i could say that yes that is true <laughs> but i'm signing my kids up for every everything <laughs> all right um i i think that's a wrap on my end. Marvin, do you have any uh, follow-up questions for Christina? No, I think we, I think we, this was a really great conversation. Thank you again so much, Christina, for chatting with us on the podcast. Yeah. Um, if people want to find out more about your books or follow you on social media, where can they, where can they go? Yeah, no, it's been great to talk to you. This has been a lot of fun. Um, you, you can go to my website to see uh, all my books and I have videos talking about the books there. So that's SoonTornVot.com. And then on Twitter, I'm at SoonTornVot. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Um, we have been talking with Christina SoonTornVot. Thank you so much for chatting with us and have a great rest of your seven book year. <laughs> yes, you too. Thanks so much, guys. It's nice to talk to you. And that was our interview with Christina Sumtornvat. Her book, A Wish in the Dark, is available now in bookstores everywhere. And watch out for her other, what, six books coming out this year. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's quite an accomplishment. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. And that'll also do it for this episode of Books and Bulba. A quick reminder that our book club pick for May 2020 is The Woman Warrior by Maxine Kong Kingston. Uh, we'll be discussing that in two weeks. Uh, don't forget Asian Books Challenge is still ongoing Um, please let us know what your picks are on Twitter and if you haven't started yet it's not too late to catch up you can find the Asian Books Challenge on our Twitter at Books and Bulba um, as well as our website at booksandbulba.com and uh, yeah we'll see each other next week I guess virtually (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, have a good week everyone Uh, stay safe stay healthy and we'll see y'all later Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about The Collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Kathy! Kim! Steve? What's going on? Tell me, what do you know about K-dramas? Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pots because you know they're bad for the environment? Uh, no. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It, it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listen to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season. Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So, are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean drama podcast? So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one? Secret Garden, from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean drama podcast at koreandramapod.com. Kaja! Am I going to see sauna towel buns?